Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. This show was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We're no longer a podcast only. Yeah, we kind of aren't. So, I don't. I think we're a and d show, no longer just a podcast. Yeah. But then you we, can find us. Then we might want to do just a script. Yeah, I will work on that. <laughs> uh, we hope to inspire you today with more creative content that you can always bring on your next adventure. Yeah. Uh, it's... We do it every time. Yeah. We want to thank you guys for joining us here today at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your rolls don't matter. That's right. Your rolls like a world map without a hex grid. Yes, those exist. Those those are a thing. They were more of a thing longer or in old school stuff, but OSR is making a recover or return, so. Or other You'll games know. for that matter. Yes. Um, so You'll see it. Uh, I would just like to take a moment, if you're watching us on YouTube or Twitch or TikTok or whatever it is, please consider subscribing. Our subscriber rate on uh, YouTube has just been blowing up in the last week. We've yeah, gone, like, gone like 35% increase. So thank yeah. you everyone. Uh, thank you all for joining us. With that, let us get into our main topic today. Um, if you don't know, uh, we are going to be talking enhancing your exploration in Dungeons and Dragons with hex crawls. Now, I cannot take credit for this idea. It's way back from fifth, uh, first edition. Yeah, but it's, I, it's older than most of us. Yes. Uh, I want to, uh, I would like to say, uh, thank, uh, the Alexandrian. He has an amazing website. Uh, you can find a link in the show notes on our, on our blog at Crit Academy, who Mm -hmm. actually breaks all this stuff down and is where I, uh, uh, have taken most of the, the structure for this from. So kudos to him. So the hex crawl, what is it? It is a game structure for running wilderness exploration scenarios. Let's be honest. This is something that gets dropped off often pretty often yeah i would say i mean it's especially with the way 5e is formatted yes it kind of gets swept under the rug a lot yeah now although we did see the initial core component of this um slowly fade uh D second uh edition advanced uh they removed it and it really kind of hasn't been back since until the recent tomb of annihilation though i am told that kingmaker the pathfinder set already was doing this as well okay i don't know if anybody can confirm nor deny that i, I don't actually, play pathfinder i can't and they, confirm and like, it's, like i said just before the show we they did bring it back a little bit for the play test for fifth edition okay. so so there is something there is so there, they did have been playing around with the idea which is great so mm-hmm. um with that i would like to take a second and say that um if you're thinking about running hex crawls i promise it's worth giving it a shot but make sure that you talk to the team, the players, and make sure that's something that they want. Yes. Because exploration isn't everyone's cup of tea. I don't know if that's the reason why some ta- ta- tables um, don't do it, or if it's just been lost. Yeah. So, I, I think uh, when it comes to hex crawls, is it, again, we, we kind of already touched on it, where it kind of feels like this almost dated design because everyone wants to kind of move fast right everyone wants to play the game at breakneck speed and uh hex crawls significantly can slow the game down uh which actually me and justin when we were uh about to start the show we were talking like it really kind of reminds us of like old like even like old final fantasy one where like you're kind of like in this unknown realm you're kind of pushed into exploration Mm -hmm. and it we even talked about downtime. Uh, hex crawls really do kind of like, uh, should the DM will it, you, you're probably going to find downtime a lot more often yes. than you normally would because the adventure itself is getting slowed down. Yeah. Well, let's get into the mechanics really quick uh, so that they kind of got an idea of what it is. And so, I think the thing too, though, is like a lot of modules to these stages map out everything for you. So there's not really anything to explore, if you will. Yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> Um, and that, but once again, that's a, a changing of the times. It doesn't mean that this isn't worth exploring. And like I said, it came back in Tomb of Annihilation for and a reason, it did. and it fit that theme perfectly. And I think that's part of it. Um, so let's talk about it. So regardless of the structure, um, there is a or design. Regardless of the game that you're running hex crawls in, there is kind of a generic structure um, that uh, you kind of build off in your games. Obviously, as Dungeon Masters, we can change as much or as little as we want. But we're going to break it into basically four categories, and we're not going to break it up. This comes from the Alexandrian. Uh, once again, recommend checking out his site. So um, they all start with a hex map. If you don't know what a hex map is, there's one right here on the screen over here. 
Um, here, I'll blow it up for you guys so you can see. This is actually the hex map of Chult, and you'll notice that it's an overland map, but there's a lot of blank space. That's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is to have a lot of that blank space uh, to be explored. Exactly. So, uh, in general, the terrain of a hex is given as a kind of a visual reference, uh, and the uh, uh, reference and the hex is kind of numbered either directly or gridded across however you want. You really don't have to do that, but that's something that's pretty typical. Um, and then the the entire area is dotted with additional features, settlements, dungeons, rivers, roads, um, uh, kind of na- to name a few. But what's really cool is you don't, while it is cool to kind of dot some of that out, you can also add random random roll tables to these and roll them randomly so even the DM doesn't know where anything's at. Right. If the DM says, I'm going to have these 10 events, these 10 locations, but I don't want to know where they're at. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be just as fun for the DM to kind of explore if you roll yep. it on a chart and it says, oh, you guys stumbled into the town of Greenhold. Hey. Okay, it's here now, and then they check it off on the mark map, and they know where it's at. You know all those encounters on this uh, show that we do? You can literally just choose, you know, you know, one out of the 233, and you can use those on your hex scrolls. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of touching on the idea of locations being keyed. Um, if you do build your map in advance, which I think is kind of the normal thing, yeah. but it, it's not necessary. Personally, uh, I'm a fan of randomizing, so... I'm pretty cool with just shit being in a random location. But mm-hmm. uh, each of those locations is keyed to a specific hex, so you know what's there ahead of time if you so choose, or a certain die, right? If you decide a right. certain hex is going to be um, a certain type of combat, like it's going to be an ambush, you might have an ambush chart or whatever. Right. Um, the next thing that you need is travel mechanics, uh, which determines how far the PCs can move and... Uh, where they, uh, how far they get over land travel. Now, 5th edition does have very limited rules on this. Yeah. But it does give you details on how far people can go if they travel at a normal pace, if they travel at a fast or a slow pace. Um, and the biggest disadvantage of traveling fast is what, guys? You might miss out on stuff. That's one thing. Uh, the lack of downtime. Lack of downtime. Or it's easier to get ambushed, too. You can't prep as much. You push your characters to the limit. So there's rules for like exhaustion and stuff like that. If the yeah. characters got to have to tr- travel, let's say it's supposed to take two weeks to get to this this you know area, and you're traveling by hex, you can roll based on what speed they're going, um, and the counters may increase in difficulty or uh, um, or reduce in difficulty depending on how cautious the players are. Or the player characters. This could also be uh, a nice little situation because obviously uh, we always love to give our players some form of uh, almost like a time bomb, right? Where it was like, you have to be here at X amount of time or else bad things happen. Right, right. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, maybe they had failed the last combat encounter and it wasn't like a, a rioting success. Like someone got captured or, you know, uh, they right, took too much right. time. So now your characters have to think, okay, we have to get here in two weeks, but uh, it'll take us at least three weeks to get here unless we, you know, start sacrificing sleep (laughs) or or really start to exhaust ourselves. And that has a punishment in 5e specifically. Exhaustion is a bad, bad mechanic to have. uh, Or a bad uh, debuff to have, right? Exhaustion is probably one of the most painful things in the game. (laughs) Since it can kill you. (laughs) Uh, Now I'm thinking about... Uh, one session back at the store where I kept getting exhaustion again and again and again. The fact that I had exhaustion kept compounding my rolls, which right, gave right. me more exhaustion. Which makes it worse. Yeah. Um. So, once you've kind of got your map set up and your hexes laid out, um, the way it works is every time the people, the, the players decide to move, they can pick a direction they want to go, right? Mm-hmm. If you know you got to go north, they're likely going to go that way. But once they enter a hex... Uh, the GM will then tell them the type of terrain. Now, I think this is important because each hex technically can be different, mm-hmm. right? It can now, be. You want to keep it within realism unless you've got a reason for it. You don't want, like, a tundra next to a desert, you know? But right. it gives you some variation in the, the land as they kind of adventure, whether this area is desert, but then the next area is uh, uh, a plain and then in a forest and then a swamp. You know, each one of those kind of lets them build out the areas right mm-hmm. um and this basic structure uh can really 
I wouldn't say necessarily be designed to advance the story. It's meant to be a way to explore the world and the, the lore of the world, right? Which oh. is something as Dungeon Masters we love creating, right? But it's hard to innately um, just pass that on to the players, right? So I think a hex crawl is a great opportunity for that because let's say I want to reveal that there was an ancient deity who sacrificed themselves to to save the land, right? If sure. I decide that's going to be on this grid somewhere, maybe I plop it, you know, not directly in their path, but they decide to go to it and they hit it. They might just find a set of ruins, ruins um, that might even become a new dungeon delve, um, but they enter it and then I get to feed them, a, a, you know, this big giant uh, tapestry um, is falling, or not tapestry, I'd be gone in that time. This big giant stone <laughs> pillar has got some carvings on it, and then you ask for an intelligence check or something, and you slowly re- uh, re- relay some of that lore, and then you just move on to the next hex. Right. And it gives a very natural way, so now there's a location on the map that says, hey, this ruin is here, it apparently talks about this ancient deity um, who sacrificed themselves to save the world. That's great, we should put that down. Somebody might want to go back to that. What's really cool is you can tie that back to your main campaign if you want, which I think is really nice. Yep. Um, I've kind of been blabbing a lot because I wanted to get the core kind of concept out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys kind of think about this as players? So, as a player, uh, again, because we've... Uh, there is, like, references to this style of play in, like, older video games and stuff. Like, you can kind of find stuff that's closely related, but I wouldn't say it's quite as much as, like, an actual hex crawl. But this would be the kind of thing where if I wanted something that didn't feel like, okay, the world's ending and we're having to travel through different planes of existences and learn all this new culture immediately within weeks or we die. Uh, (laughs) This is, uh, that's that's about uh, plane shifters, by the way. You should totally check that out. Oh yeah. You should Uh, totally do that. Uh, We go live every two weeks. That's quite literally the the plot so far. Um, But um, it's, this would be nice for me when I, uh, cause like I I like my rogue, but like he's not gonna go into like a war campaign. This would be something more for him, where he has all this like skill sets and ready to, uh, kind of learn and express himself through the world. And this would be like a fun way to play that. It's funny that you mention uh like a war campaign because this is actually a great uh setting for that because you've got soldiers and armies marching. One hex can be an entire army. You could do that as well. Um, I, I guess like, yeah, just, that makes you sense. Just, you just yeah, stumbled you literally, into a war camp. Yeah, yep. <laughs> like oh geez, here's uh, an entire platoon of enemies. We need to not be here. We need to disengage now. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Ian? As I said before, I did participate in um, a campaign where we did use a hex grid on an island, which was being explored. And I do well, now. To be fair, either the GM, either rolled everything up ahead of time, so he already had all the terrain mapped out, or mm-hmm. he had generated, but either way, he still got the exploration effect. He still did roll right. every time we went to an, a new hex for, for that terrain type. And we also did see, I want to say this was actually kind of used to a degree during the playtest as well for 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sad I missed out the, 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 the playtest. I really wish I had been able to be a part of that more. I got it right on the tail end <laughs> where it was almost up. Okay. Um, there was a and as I said before, there was a lot of good ide- ideas in the playtests that were presented, and they just already changed it. Mm-hmm. I'm still sore that it didn't go with like a, one of the earlier builds of the fighter, which is awesome! <laughs> well, uh, did you ever send that to me? Maybe we can build something off of it. I could never find it, so... Oh, okay. oh wow. All right, so, it's just um, gone content. That's so I Now, as awesome as this sounds, it's not without its pitfalls. Correct. Um, moving space by space will slow down your campaign. Yes. Period. So if you're rushing, like I, I rush our campaigns because I want us to finish them. No, oh, yeah, for I sure. Mean, and that's within the year, preferably. Uh, yes, okay. and so <laughs> that's why we've been able to successfully finish, you know, Storm King's Thunder, Descent into Avernus, whatever the homebrew one I was running before that, because I push for those completions. But yeah. if we just wanted to just go our own speed, um, this would be a great way to fill out the world and let the players advance and, and uh, um, experience the world as a whole. Now, one of the pitfalls I mentioned is that it can slow down the campaign. That's yes. certainly something that's a problem. Now, as a dungeon master, you can speed that hex crawl up as much as you want. I've only ran a hex crawl once, and when I did, I chose to use a D4 plus 
what the uh, player's speed was. So if the players decide to go at a normal pace, it was just a D4. If they went at a fast pace, it was a D4 um, plus one. And if they went at a slow pace, it was a D4 minus one, and they could pick which hexes they went in. Mm-hmm. So they were able to traverse several hexes. That was still a little bit random um, as we progress. Once again, I only did this once, but it's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this, because I really enjoyed it. It was a different kind of game. I think uh, using a D4 as movement is probably a really good idea. Only reason being is because not like terrain in and of itself is going to be random. I mean, there could be like, uh, like uh, maybe this forest that I'm going through is completely flat land, right? But this forest that I'm going through, unfortunately, it's a giant hill into a cavern mm-hmm. and I have to get over it somehow. And, and that the, might take a little bit of time. I like that because then as we can narrate, why did it take you longer? Yes. And it could just be as easy as Ian's character got distracted by some random merchant that went around. Because that's the other thing. The encounters yeah. can be anything. They, they don't literally have to be, can be anything. They, they don't have to be any particular kind. It can be as mundane as you run into an interesting uh, artificer on your travels. And Merle Bronson spent a half a day talking to him about his new gizmo or some, some BS. And that's a good way to fit in when nothing eventful happens to fit in the kind of the character's personalities, mm-hmm. which is really cool. An otherworldly being has shown itself to you, and you are all absolutely horrified for the next six hours. And then everything was back to normal, and he wiped your memories of the entire encounter happening. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's interesting. And you know what? Things like that happen. That's why there's a spell, modify memory, right? (laughs) That's just what happened. I don't know. An elder god literally visited you guys, and unfortunately, things didn't go so well. But you guys all survived. Somebody insulted him, and then he's like, be gone, mortals. Um, But what else? What else you can do with this is something that doesn't get enough, at- excuse me, enough attention that we discussed previously is downtime activities. Yes. Um, I think that's where this sort of uh, exploration is where downtime activities can really, really shine. I really love the idea of language learning in, in 5e. There's no, like, set of rules for it, really, but it's that, so cool. Yeah. Are you Did you bring that up because that was just a thing? Yeah, because I love it. I think it's cool as hell. <laughs> Whereas, like, other editions totally had rules for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, uh... If you never, I mean, well, I think there is, just nobody uses them because it almost never comes up because mm-hmm. the way it's built doesn't really jive. It's not really conducive for, for the the way most games are played. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think it's kind of true for a lot of downtime activities in general. Yeah, and that's why I think they left it so bland. Um, yeah, but that once again, that's a great way to expand on trade skills too. If you've got an herbalist, every time they pass a hex, give, let them roll a d twenty and determine how many herbs you collect enough herbs to make a potion of healing. You collect enough herbs to make a, you know, two potions of healing or something like that. Or a poisoner's kit. Or maybe yeah, you make like some wood, wooden shoes with the cobbler's set, you know? I mean, <laughs> it, it, like, the having trade skills, I think, in D&D is something that gets largely overlooked. Because we're yeah. always trying to be adventurous and be like, ah, yes, blood murder kill. That's what we do. <laughs> um, but there, there is a, a weird sense of, like, I guess, like, novelty. Where you uh-huh. get to just Good kind word. of, like... You just kind of you get to just experience your character to be happy for a change, and he's not trying to murder and destroy and trying to fight God. (laughs) And not to mention, I think some of the crafting rules, as implemented as we kind of touched on, they kind of just create a general rule that doesn't really make sense for some items under scrutiny. Yeah, Yeah. It's, it's like what you can like the cost of an item for every five gold it's worth. It takes that many days to make. Yeah. So in theory, as a result, it's like, okay, now I'm spending an entire year making plate armor. <laughs> yeah, it makes, which, uh, I mean, plate armor takes a while, but not a year, especially if you're proficient at your job, I feel like. Yeah, I, get, I, yeah, I don't know enough about the real science behind that. But, but I mean, uh, yeah, whatever. It's fantasy the, anyway. The other thing that I think makes Hacks Crawl so much fun is it's a great opportunity to delve into character stories and, and um, I. That, details that is huge so uh it reminds the dm that you guys have bonds yes <laughs> yes um so if you got yeah he's i that's a shot at me because well, he's no. got, his character's got a wife and i haven't really done anything with it well to be fair we were in hell, hell for... in hell yeah know, or yeah. avernus or whatever it was yeah and now he's on a different plane uh, anyway so uh, <laughs> oh, that's gonna work. actually so the other thing i wanted to touch on uh and go into a little more detail with the um the, the the character building is because I started playing a game called Celesta. It is a D&D, a video game based off of the D&D SRD. And mm. they use basically a hex kind of 
process. And what's interesting is that even when nothing eventful happens, it reveals like one or two lines about the character. Like it might talk about uh, my character is spent the evening playing the flute and entertaining the people. And then it might say Bork didn't give a damn about it. He thought it was terrible or whatever, (laughs) based on whatever random check it is. But you can reveal a little bit of the character's personality as you're going through that. And that's what I think is really, really just fantastic about it. And you can give the players options to role play as well during these uh, processes. I think that would help uh, even if you, like, you just want to like expand your character. Like, yeah. what would my character do in this situation? Yeah. And like, uh, say, because like, I know there's some people who probably like love to role play. And I think that's a, a huge thing about this game. I mean, it, sometimes it really is just about like role playing a character uh-huh. that you're not, you know, that that isn't you. Uh, and it's like some accented version of you i guess and like this would be like a fun way to kind of be like oh i can kind of put more personality to my character that isn't just he's strong man with shield right right. Uh, (laughs) and that's the time for them even if it is just a barbarian or just a a bland fighter you can slowly reveal your character which is just fantastic over this long journey because that's when your player characters are going to build up their their uh ties together they're mm-hmm. not going to build up their 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 teamwork and their their knowledge and feelings for each other between in the middle of battle. That happens no. during the journey, right? Right. Um, I would like to give kudos to the team uh, in the YouTube chat talking about using Catan roads and minis for these because I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> kudos to you guys. Um, but yes, there's so much that it's can awesome. be done. Obviously, it can be time consuming, but. It doesn't have to be as time-consuming as you would imagine. So when I ran it, I mentioned I did the 1D4 uh, track. Well, when you do the 1D4, it takes a few seconds. The only time it consumes more time is when they delve into something. If they stumble across the settlement, Mm -hmm. you might just say, hey, you guys stay at the settlement. Nothing exciting happens. But if the characters want to know more and start interviewing people, then you're going to end up spending Mm -hmm. more time in those locations. Especially if it's something interesting. If you stop at a you stop at a port city with a, a giant statue of a man riding on a whale, and your characters say, "What the hell's up with the man on the whale?" Now you, they've <laughs> taken interest, so now you get to build out and share that lore and that story, even if there is no combat. You can also use it as trading posts, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, they get to visit these new places. Maybe you put one or two unique items that they can, you know, have a chance to purchase. Or, hey, we visited that town. It had this thing. Couldn't or afford it then. local rogue will steal. Or steal. Five-finger discount. But <laughs> I can come back to it later now that I know where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to it. Um, Could be a quest hook. Yes. If your campaign doesn't have, like, a, a huge overarching story, you can just kind of, and you like to do that kind of, like, mini-episode style like one shots for your characters Mm -hmm. uh this could be another great way to like just do really simple easy to do one shots so uh and there's like a whole like episode where we talk about uh like magic items having quests attached to them so and i you're you're spot on that is fantastic because one of the things that i really liked and i'm trying i would like to reproduce at some point is legacy weapons where Mm -hmm. you have quests you undertake to forge a stronger bond with your weapon and unlock its potential. And having those kind of dotted throughout a a hex map would be awesome because it's there if the players decide they want to chase it. Right. And you just put it on, you know, uh, hex C4 or whatever it is. Yep. And if they decide they know it's to the northwest, I don't know where. It's a big map. If you look at the map here, yeah, it's, um, uh, it's, it's a... big. Mm-hmm. Um, which comes to the other point is it doesn't have to be. You can have hex max of just general small regions too, you can. Uh, which is really fun and cool too. Where you might have a layer mm-hmm. trolls lair is one hex, and you know a spider you know cavern is another hex. You know, and you can have them going out and venturing and seeking out those locations, um, and then maybe even using skill challenges like sur- like survival to give them a nudge in the right direction. So mm-hmm. instead of knowing it's to the north. You, they roll really good, and based on, you know, tracks or whatever, it's to the northeast, you know, so it gives them a little more, get them there quicker. It just occurred right. to me that a ranger could actually shine in a hex crawl, potentially. Yes, yes I think this is one of the few instances where a ranger would be extremely helpful. Favored terrain and everything would absolutely, and, and, and knowing how far away <laughs> monsters are, Yep. I mean, and what monsters are there, you, you are damn right. The ranger was probably made for these. Yep. Um, and it's a shame that, you know, we <laughs> we have to play this certain style of way for a ranger to shine because it, right? that is the reality. Yeah. But yeah. this yeah. is where the ranger would shine. Yep. It, regard, like, that is the fact here. So, I don't know. <laughs> That's something. Well, um, 
do you guys have anything else you want to touch on before we move on to our unearthed tips and tricks? No, that was pretty pretty good. I, I hope this actually like lets people know that like uh, hex crawls are absolutely a thing because I know in like the D and D five A world, a lot of people probably just do theater of the mind, which I don't blame them. Yeah, it's the easiest to set up, and it's great. And tear down. <laughs> yeah, and tear down. <laughs> and honestly, for, for this hex crawls to work the best, you need to come up with some tables. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the internet's full of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there's one thing that the internet has a lot of, go check out the D100 Reddit. Um, <laughs> D&D Speak does a phenomenal job curating the, the, the comments and stuff into tables that I are amazing. I do recall this, yep. Um, and I will preach that website forever. Uh, you can go find the stuff ready-made at their dndspeak.com, or you can go to their Reddit and find all their stuff as well. Uh, so... Anyways, hex crawls are a wonderful world building and exploring tool. Um, they're such a simple and open-ended approach uh, for the characters to explore the world. Sure, the GM has influence over some of the aspects of the hex crawl if they decide to put things in certain locations, but um, it really it comes down to the choices the players make and which direction they go. And I think that that means. A longer sessions. Um, I do like the fact you touched on that. It's great if you want to have one shots when people don't show up. Um, that's a great one. Oh, you stumbled across uh, this hex now has the 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 tomb of this mummy guy, you know, and he happens. And now to you be... want his undead scepter. <laughs> right, so. <laughs> Turns out it was a lich. Oh God. <laughs> so uh, we were a little off on the translation. Not a mummy, actually a <laughs> lich. Uh, oops. Uh, I think this is also a great way to give uh, out reward, give out a physical map that's a hand drawn map by another adventurer, and then have it be not exactly right. Mm-hmm. Like it, everything's off by like three or four squares, so they end up running into more trouble. Like it's supposed to be here. <laughs> That'd be really funny. <laughs> I like that actually. Oh man! Just to introduce a little more randomness to it. So um, obviously. This is um, an, 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 uh, not a new idea, but I think it is, can breathe fresh life into 5e or your RPG. Um, I, agree. I know that I'll be incorporating more hex crawls in my future games. Um, this, the first minor attempt that I ran, I thought was a success. I didn't follow all the details right, but I think I had a general idea that anybody can do it um, mm-hmm. if I figured it out. Um, and it certainly made the, the, the few players that joined me. Um, far more interested in exploring because now it's blank and they don't know what's what direction. They only have right. general ideas. So with that, I think that'll do it for our main topic today, you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, Good old hex crawls. Yeah, definitely consider trying them. If you've used hex crawls, share with the uh, share with it, share with us in the comments or. Um, uh, if you've got another way that you do it, please let us know, because we're always trying to expand our horizon. Before we move on, I would like to take a minute to plug our own product. If you're like me and you love monsters, I love monsters. I'm a huge monster person. That's why I write so many of them, right? Um, please consider checking out Memorable Monsters. Here at Crit Academy, we believe that to tr- uh, we believe that truly memorable monsters are more than just stat blocks. They are fully fleshed out creatures that allow you to draw from and include many facets, facets of their life and nature. With our Memorable Monsters book, we have created 50 unique monsters with complete and fleshed out backgrounds, complex motives, quirks, and flaws. More than that, we give you a myriad of ways to use them, not just the vi- villain. They can be an ally. They can be a quest giver. They can be a merchant. Uh-huh. Um, and there's just so much to them. They all got wonderful artwork, so please consider picking one up. You can pick them up at CritAcademy.com. Hopefully my wife is watching. We'll add a link in the doobly-doo. Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With that, let us move on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearth Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept today is Marboss Horror, male tiefling. Description, this tall, slender man wears just a black suit. His hair is short and dark red. And his eyes are white. You don't see that too often now, do you? Spooky. <laughs> Personality-wise, he doesn't care much for a physical appearance. 
And for that matter, nor does he care much for other people. <laughs> uh, just like tieflings. <laughs> yeah. He does, however, care about what he wants and how to get it. He's used to getting what he wants, in fact. In part because he's a very meticulous planner. Sounds like a rogue. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and for his history, Marbass was born in the North. At a young age, he loved to build and create. He graduated from the Naval Academy and went to see the world at the rank of Ensign. He advanced relatively quickly due to his good work ethic, <laughs> understanding wow. of the chain of command, and natural leadership ability. <laughs> he hates people but listens to them. <laughs> yeah. He was recently attacked the road and was actually beaten by bandits, however. Oh, okay, Jeez. that's where it comes yeah. in. <laughs> now, I'm actually... Now, I'm kind of curious if the strict discipline of the military is what made him not give a crap about what his appearance looks like. Because he was just so annoyed by the discipline, even though he's a meticulous <laughs> planner. Motivation, he attempts to ambush and attack anyone he thinks he can take on alone and try to knock them out with non-lethal damage. And if he's successful, he'll try to sell them to his slave to your contact. <laughs> And he wants nothing more than to rejoin the, the military. <laughs> what a... Wow. What a colorful character. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, yes, I am the... I will knock out people not only because... Not because I'm a nice guy, but because I'm going to plunder all their things and then throw them into a slave trade. <laughs> also, I really miss the military. <laughs> what a... What a colorful oh, character. Oh, oh. That's funny. I love it. Um, yeah, That's I love, so I love crazy. characters with personality. This guy's got plenty. <laughs> he's got, yeah, he's got enough for two characters. Holy cow. I think this guy would make for uh, uh, a very interesting uh, uh, re, uh, uh, reappearing NPC. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be great. Yep. So. I, yeah, just like, just like, he's like some guy on the road. He looks clearly, like, clearly dangerous, right? Because you look <laughs> at him and he's like, there's something about his... His form, his, his the way he walks, it just seems very trained and uh, imposing. Mm-hmm. But then he's just like, "Hello, <laughs> please do not talk to me." <laughs> you're like, "Okay, I won't." You're, you're, I'm, I'm, you're on good. I uh, didn't want to talk to you either. And uh, then, like later on, you see him just punching a guy to death, and he just <laughs> drags him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "Don't mind me." <laughs> do not perceive. <laughs> and he's just dragging a guy away. And you're like, I really don't want to go near this guy. <laughs> Alrighty, I think that'll do it for our uh, character concept today. <laughs> our monster variant is the Drider Blade Weaver. Ooh, Ooh, I like this. The art for this that's going in the uh, UTT that are in our in our, our full monster development page that the patrons get mm-hmm. is amazing. It is so gorgeous. Uh, anyway, so in order to make the Dryder uh, Blade Weaver, you're going to start with the origin stat block of the Edder Cap. You're going to change the bite. It's going to become a poisoned rapier. Ooh. The new features, it can now cast the darkness spell once per day. And we're going to give it some legendary actions because I love legendary actions. As we all do. We're going to give it real. The Dryder pulls a creature restrained by its web up to 20 feet towards itself. As a legendary action. I didn't actually say it gets three legendary actions. It also has web lasso. The drider throws a strand of webbing at a creature within 10 feet. The target must succeed a DC 12 dexterity saving throw or be restrained by the drider's web ability. Oh dear. And of course, the legendary, uh, the last legendary action is going to be web recharge. The drider rolls to recharge its web. Oh, are you kidding me? Using webbing more than once? Oh, Justin, you beast. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, first of all, if you don't know, the Etten is only a challenge rating two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Etter cap. Etter, what did I say? Etten. Etten. Yes, it's yep. the Etter cap. That explains why I didn't get what I wanted when I Googled it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you don't know, the Etter cap uh, is only a CR rank two monster. It has the, the web walk, the web sense, the spider climb. The fact that it can shoot webs and then yank targets is super dangerous if you put them on high walls, cliff mm-hmm. shears, um, up in tall trees. Um, they just become uh, dangerous. Well, combining that with like a, a drow feel and giving it a little bit more intelligence makes it seem uh, a little more threatening, I think. Yeah. Not everyone gets to injure, uh, to fight a, uh, a real, a regular drider because, you know, they're kind of higher in level a little bit. Yeah. So dropping it down a little bit and make, allows you to introduce them a little earlier, I think. And I just think they're fun. They're half like drow, half giant spider, and it's disgusting. Yeah, it's real, real gross looking. 
mm-hmm. and I can just en- uh, envision them shooting out the webs out of their ass, and then just like crawling up a tree and then stabbing them in- when they poison them. Now, <laughs> it's worth noting that um, the 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 poison doesn't do anything other than damage. It's not like paralysis or anything. Yep. Though the idea of making it like crawler mucus poison that can paralyze them sounded really awesome, but also sounded too strong for a CR2. Yeah, definitely a little strong for a CR2. <laughs> yeah. But then again, we me. also have the, the fucking intellect devourer, and oh, that can God, like straight yes. up kill people, so I, I don't know anymore. Right, Sometimes right. I wonder about challenge ratings. <laughs> Some people would, would agree that they're kind of, eh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, eh, you know. Well, anyways, I like this. I love my lower level monsters having uh, legendary actions. Because it lets them do things on other people's turns. And you'll notice, none of these are damaging powers. No, No, they're not, yeah. Um, So, tossing in a darkness, webbing some people up, and just running away sounds awesome. I think it's good. It's effective. Can you imagine chasing down the halfling? Because it's been stolen by a giant (laughs) blade-weavered rider. Oh, man. Rolls it up for a snack. Little halfling burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, Good stuff. All right, I think that'll... When you do your monsters... Stuff like this is great because it's three-dimensional. Do more three-dimensional fights. I don't know who you are. I don't know how you play, but do more three-dimensional fights. Flying, underwater, fighting on the sides of walls only makes the game more fun. I agree. Especially when you just, you know, grab somebody when you're hanging on a wall and power bomb them. Exactly. <laughs> this is See, that's the fun part of D&D, is when you get to do weird stuff uh, like that. <laughs> right, right. All right, that'll do it for our monster variant. Uh... Austin, would you like to tell us about our encounter? Now, I want to preface this with, this is meant to be very short and open as a discussion. It's only a sample strategy. We'll see how it goes. Right. This is kind of something new we're trying here. So we have here the city of objects. So a city full of inanimate objects turned into creatures via true polymorph. So this already creates some interesting issues, which is, Oh, God, these things that weren't alive are now suddenly very alive. So uh, what if a villain casts Dispel Magic and kills the city of the people with amnesia? And uh, let's try to, like, explore the humanity of it. And do they really have souls or is this, uh, well, that depends, right? Because, like, what is magic inherently? So the reason I like this idea, because, first of all, Beauty and the Beast is clearly the inspiration for this, right? Yeah, You You have an entire... uh, building i guess this would be a city but you have an entire castle full of people that have been transformed against their will yes now in that they do actually know that they were people right i would presume because i believe they still retain all their personality and everything so So that would make the most sense the heroes are used to fighting monsters and in you know suits of armor and stuff like this so this would be pretty strange and they would probably be second guessing any comments that they make of we didn't we're not bad you know I'm just a talking clock it's not strange at all. I mean I'm sure like because like the because they're inanimate objects and they're clearly not mimics uh, because ah. mimics are immediately dangerous and well, they will and try would, and kill that you would be immediately. The, the the assumption too. This thing is talking to me. Is it a talking mimic? I guess that's fair. I guess do mimics have intelligence? I don't think so. I was gonna I guess say I don't know, but I don't think uh, so. Because if they if they don't have intelligence, then uh, then you're the players are more likely to be a little confused by the whole situation. But if the yeah, mimics they get a five, yeah, so they're not really. Well, intelligent. Who's to say it couldn't be a city full of smart mimics? Uh, you know, that's even more terrifying. Now <laughs> I think about it. Yeah, let's not let's not delve down that rabbit hole quite yet. <laughs> so here we got it. We got a city full of inanimate objects that are now. Creatures, yes. the people that lived in the town, they're surviving. How do you think the players would react to stumbling into a city like this? Do you think they would take the, the initiative and go and try to cure them? Who knows? And who turned them that way? So, and, uh, and Barbara and Chess, like, what if it's the other way around? You're in an empty city full of junk, but they're actually objects with no, sen- with no sentience. <laughs> oh, you could go both ways. I like that. Okay. Nice one. No, I'll admit too. When I read the encounter, the, the way I interpreted it was they somebody polymorphed objects into creatures. Into people, yeah, that's what oh, I see. Oh, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> that's city what it's. So... Inanimate objects is turned into creatures. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. I, for some reason, I was thinking it was the other way around. Yeah, yeah. So, that's why uh, I was. I was like, you're, okay. you're, you're got good points, but like, I don't think that's exactly that's what's not going what we're on. Talking about here, yeah. Uh, this so, is what happens when I don't write everything out with thought. So here's, so here's like the the fun part, right? Because like. These were just inanimate objects, mm-hmm. but now they are technically creatures. 
they are things that have brains and do they have souls though and for that matter do they have knowledge see that's the things we're trying to explore now because so, well do they, do they even know how to speak I guess what is what does true polymorph do exactly? It's uh, <laughs> I know it's a long, long-winded thing. It's a whole page. Yeah, I'm gonna read a whole page, but I think we can get the the, the gist it, right, which says the object into a turn an object into a creature, and the object uh, into any kind of creature as long as the creature's size is no larger than the object size. The creature's challenge rating is nine. Oh, as long as and the creature's challenge rating is nine or lower. The creature is friendly to you and your companions. Okay. It acts uh, on each of your turns and decides the actions to take. Uh, it says it's friendly, so does that mean well from a friendly combat? to the thing that turned it into it? Yes, which in this yeah. case could be a villain. Could be the villain. But are they 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 innocents then? Right. Probably because they're they were turned against their will. Right. So now the players are effectively just assassinating everything and murder holding which they do anyway i guess so huh what's new (laughs) but Uh, it doesn't actually because i think it determines the creature they get turned into whether they have sentience or not the creature is limited in the actions it can perform by the nature of its new form human or commoner uh and it can't speak cast spells or take any other action that requires hands or speech unless it's hold on maybe i'm missing something unless i think that's creature into creature so, yeah, object into creatures, object into the, creatures the, the one we're only looking it at here. It leaves it very vague. Very vague. Uh, so, I now, mean, that's a, good, though, a because... A stat block is less than challenge rating 9. Yeah. Yep. Which means, now you have a city of people who probably have no idea what's going on. Or they, maybe, maybe they, they just but they that... like the But they like this one guy. Maybe the one guy just uh, what is that uh, in Full Metal Alchemist? Doesn't isn't the beginning the guy pretends to be a god? Yep. What if that's or a similar priest of a god, a yeah. priest of a god, or something? What if that's something similar? He just pretends to be a god and he's brought them all and created his own city to rule. Now is he bad because he maybe he was lonely? I just because uh, I know like oh my god. So this actually <laughs> this creates a whole other set of problems that uh, maybe you guys aren't super familiar with, but you could be. Uh, viably a demigod relatively quickly if you could cast true polymorph onto a scale like this. Yes. Because all you need is a bunch of followers and you need to do some amazing feats, but you can get the followers real damn quick if they all already like you. <laughs> so... And they, I assume they stay They stay until... I, I don't... Um, when does it stop? Does it end? No. No, True polymorph stays. doesn't end? If, if, you for a full, if you concentrate for a full hour, it's permanent. Oh my god. So right so now, now we, we have, have... Okay, so in my <laughs> mind, I'm envisioning a wizard who's just lonely. And you he could. spent all of his time in this tower, and he's loved with his books and his pens, and his, and he starts bringing them to life and forms a city around his tower. He is now the, the, the ruler, the deity of this tower. He uses magic. They aren't going to know any better. Yep. No, they probably do literally oh think gosh. of him as a god. Okay. Well, also keep in mind, this is like, what, a ninth level spell? That yes. He, he can use once per day? He's a Okay, Every so day. it take him a year. Yeah, it take still... him a year to build a small village. Yeah. Yeah. And he does it every day for years, plural. Yeah, I yeah. mean, oh I man, think... a, a, a lich could do this. A lich could literally create his uh, entire kingdom that's not zombies. Yo, th- this could be like a lich trying to like ascend into godhood. Oh, this is God. the plot of a lich oh, ascending yes. into godhood. I, this or is a wizard trying to or become a, wizard. a lich to become a god. Yeah, this is like oh, dude. some high tier shit on accident, all, all because right. of some guy if trying to use true polymorph. This and knows how to use the snipping tools. <laughs> snip this out and email it to me because <laughs> I totally crazy. want to make an adventure based on this now. Yeah, that that's like actual it plot. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's that like is, an actual wow. material right there. That yeah, this is a whole campaign. There's a, <laughs> there's this evil lich that lives in the towers and enslaved this entire village. But they all speak kindly of him. Yeah, they every single him. person. So long as he can, he's never done anything wrong to him. He treats him good, gives him gives home, him, makes him home and food. food. Yeah, yeah. but Dude, like at, but they, some asshole adventurer show up because they're like, "Holy shit! It's it. a lich trying to become god." <laughs> like that's, oh this is a god, problem. I love it because uh, the the reason I even bring that up is because there was like a YouTube video of like me trying to like because like in five E you don't there's not really any rulings under like ascending to god or anything but there were yeah. some things in previous editions that you could look back to and yep, that was definitely. kind of some of the ways was like you just need like a good like cult following to believe in you 
And yeah. then you kind of do some other, I mean, you have to do some crazy feats, but a, a lich could do that. <laughs> For sure. And like, wow, that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. That's the city of Okay, so objects. I have to owe Austin an apology here. Because normally I, re- I write out all the, the content in advance. And I didn't this time. And I feel like this went way better than anything I would have wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, uh, whatever. Well, I still am going to have to write it, but now I have to yeah. write it after the fact. All right, that'll do it for our encounter. Uh, what did we call it? Uh, City of Objects. City of Objects. Oh, yeah. with a lich, apparently. Or with, a a, with a lich or wizard. Art mage, yeah. So, uh, moving on. Ian, would you like to tell us about our a magic item today? Sure. Our magic item is the Shellcracker, which I'm guessing was given to us by the user Delsonia. Yep. That's, cool. That's the name I'm going with. <laughs> Sounds good. Warhammer, very rare. For all intents and purposes, it looks like a regular mundane Warhammer, <laughs> but holding it reveals a thrum of magic through its handle. With every strike, the rhythm of ma- magic explodes through the hammer's head, permanently <laughs> reducing the target's AC by one. Oh my god, it's got the rust mechanic. To the minimum of <laughs> 10 plus your dicks by fire until the armor is professionally repaired. <laughs> and natural armor is repaired during a long rest. Oh That's my a nice goodness. little detail. I yep. like that. On the critical strike, the target's armor is is reduced to 10, regardless of the dex modifier, for 1d4 rounds. Upon recovery, the target's AC returns to 10, plus their dex modifier, regardless of where it was before the critical strike. That is... This is a badass weapon. Can I just say how awesome the name is? Shellcracker? Like, is that not on point or what? Uh, I want to thank uh, Dulcinea for submitting this via email. When I first read it, I was like, yep, this is going on the show. It was awesome. This is a crazy (laughs) item. Oh, uh, I feel like it's something you could give relatively uh, early. Oh, apparently Barbara in the chat said she's the one who wrote this. Oh, thank you, Barbara. Oh, thank you, Barbara. <laughs> Holy cow. This is a... This is a... It's very fun. Wow, what an item. I think you could... <laughs> it basically has the rust monster mechanic on it, it's, kind of. It's potentially game-breaking. Potentially, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you could... Because, like, there's I, no real way to repair AC. Well, I guess mending, yeah. I think this would be better to have in the player's hands, though, that would be in an NPC, because... Think- I disagree, but I'm also the guy that runs the NPCs. Well, think... Yeah. My rebuttal, though, is... How would that paladin feel, though, their plus three magic armor so got destroyed just like that? Well, it doesn't destroy it, right? the same way a wizard would feel when his spellbook got destroyed. Pretty crappy for a while, they just get a replacement. I don't think it gets destroyed, though. It's just... It just loses its benefit until it's Yeah. True, but so you never I'm just saying. actually yeah. lose it. But that, I mean, this is still a crazy item. Yeah, I, I love I it. I think though. it's very potent. Um, I think it, I, you I know love it's even it's a warhammer, not like a maul or something. Yeah, you know what's even crazier about this? Mm. It has no like pluses to like damage yeah. and to, to doesn't hit. need to. It weakens but the enemy. I was gonna say it don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the enemy and theirs goes down, so yours doesn't need to go up. It's just wow, so, what a nice. I like the bonus on the critical. I um, do too. That's pretty cool. And the nice touch on the natural armoring, because yep. like that is kind of a thing we do got to worry about yep. as uh, uh, players and DMs. Honestly, uh, some players and DM or monsters just have natural armor, yep. and this is kind of a nice way to circumvent that. Uh, so I like that nice little touch, because yep. or else we kind of have to be like, does it work or no? It does work. It says it right here. <laughs> <laughs> I also right. like how it's repaired during a long rest, so like their like their body just naturally heals it back up. I, I like that cool. it's almost treated as a mundane item too, though. Uh-huh. It doesn't yep. appear anything intimidating. So now I just want to play a tiny gnome with a tiny warhammer, <laughs> just like go up against like a giant construct and be like, Ding! and it like resonates and it starts cracking. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Like a little magical vein starts cracking through it, and you're like, what is that? He's like, well, it's my, it's my Warhammer, Betty. And you're like, huh? <laughs> All right, uh, that'll do it for our magic item, the Shellcracker. I like that one. Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is put your PCs in charge of their own fate. Mm-hmm. If you like to use random encounters, consider letting the players roll the dice. This puts them in control of their own fate and lets them feel the weight of their decisions <laughs> to rest often. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, <laughs> we mentioned, he- the, the reason I like this with this is because we talked about hex crawls. Right. Another thing is letting them roll on the tables to determine what happens. Kind of gets um, everyone in on it. Yeah, yeah and it's almost it like another game inside of a game. You're like, all right, all right, give me the magical treasure chest. Give me the magical treasure chest. Damn. Damn, five ogres. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Not good, guys. <laughs> and let's be real here. Players love rolling dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a monkey. And, it, and, it, and it's fun for that. But I also think that it's good for other things, too. Like, um, when they want to, uh, for random encounters in dungeons, but maybe you've got your run in 20 minions. Give some of the guys, or give some of the players a bunch of your uh, dice and say, I need you to roll me a d20. Everyone roll me a d20. And then turns out, okay, hit, 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 miss, hit, miss, miss. What? Uh, that's how many just hit you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, how would you guys feel if that happened? I'd be like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta form up, gang. <laughs> like, I don't want to use my, I'm gonna use my crappy die now. Now you finally got a reason to use the crappy die, right? <laughs> Just and like it finally a... rolls good. Right, right. <laughs> you get rid of this thing and just roll three ones this game. You throw it. It's a crit. I'm sorry, Bill. You're dead. <laughs> Bill, I'm so sorry. I just killed your character. <laughs> Honestly, the reason I came up with this is because I feel like as a dungeon master, I have so many things going on that it's nice just... just to let somebody else do it. Yeah, like when yeah. you let me take control of, uh, of um, Grand Duke Grand... Uldar. Uldar. Yeah. I took control of Oldar, and you're like, man, I don't got to worry about that fuck anymore. <laughs> right. That's one last thing I had on my table. Plus, you know, he got turned to stone, so it gave him something to do. Yeah, I was just like, man, I got a vibe <laughs> in a stone suit. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this? Oh, uh, it's good. It's a sample. So apparently, we don't have players up there. Yeah, well, it's okay. Uh, all right. That'll do it for Ondar D- Dungeon Master. And I know there's some DMs screaming at the screen. You asshole, that's not how you do it. Fuck I would, you. I would like to say that there's an option rule in the DMG. That basically lets the players roll defensive checks mm-hmm. against attacks instead of me rolling attack rolls. Yeah, that's cool. And it takes it I out of my like hands that. entirely. And I think that was part of where this came from, too. Yeah, I like that. Uh, there might be something I, to explore later. I, I do, do like do that. On other, yeah, yeah, yeah. on other people's turns. I say that one's attacking you. Roll a defense check. That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, we should play with that some more. I, I think so. Yeah, we need <laughs> yeah. To, I think that might be like a good topic to talk <laughs> on the show later. You can tell I'm such a lazy-ass dungeon master. Like, I'm just trying to pass the whole job off to everybody else at yeah. the table. Hey, dude, DMing's fucking hard. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, I do remember in my Saturday Everness game, that that with, with, with this group, the DM actually had us roll the random, random encounters. Oh, yeah, nice. I don't, I don't how did you feel them. about that? Was it different? Nice? I, bad? Good? I thought it worked out just fine. Yeah. And, and it keeps them involved in the entire process, too, more so, uh, which people love to do. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Put the PCs in charge of their own fate. For our player tip to the podcast is... Don't be a dick! And you can avoid dickitude... By listening to Austin, apparently. Uh, with prismatic <laughs> obliteration. Yeah, we heard that correctly. So we're going to get a prismatic wall to create a 30-foot diameter sphere wall in the air. Now, a creature that passes through it takes, you know, 10d6 damage each of each, you know, fire, acid, lightning, poison, and cold. Each, not one, each. Yeah, each. Uh, in addition, there is a chance that they will turn to stone and or become blinded. So once you uh, create the uh, prismatic wall, you can use the reverse gravity spell to send the enemies tumbling into the sphere, you know, right where the, all the pain is. Uh, they will take 60 D6 damage going up through both ends of the sphere wall and then drop concentration and sending them back down for another 60 D6. Now, if you can't do math, uh, that is 120 D6 is being rolled. <laughs> Wait, you got an average for me? You got the average of that? Uh, a lot? yeah. Um, a, a fuckload. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is terrifying. Um, uh, at lowest, that's 120 damage if you rolled only ones the whole time. So the other thing that think uh, that occurs <laughs> to me is you not only using the the the, the gravity, um, hooray gravity. Okay, the, the on average, levitate? we're talking about 420 damage. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's dangerous. That's prismatic wall in a new way. Prismatic <laughs> destruction. Prismatic doom. <laughs> because uh, it's meant to be a barrier. But you could just use it as a, you know, and it a occurs me the wall the, of death. The barbarian could just choke a bitch and just start right in his face <laughs> along the wall. <laughs> yeah, have, you, have you guys watched Naruto at all? I do. Uh, uh, I haven't have seen Naruto, but I've seen all the Naruto. Uh, have, you, have you gotten to the point in the Naruto Shippuden where you see Onoki, who does the... He has particle style. That's literally what this is. It's just a geometric shape of, of obliteration. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, Prismatic Wall is a ninth level spell. Of course, you know. It is just dangerous to think you can just keep throwing a creature in and out of this thing. Uh, over and over and over. Oh you can also, gosh. like... That's why legendary resistance is a thing. Yeah. You can also <laughs> probably, like, uh, hold person or hold monster, and you just... Like, like in the wall, and you do that. 
Yeah, why why not? As long as I mean they have to fail the save, I guess. But yeah. like or and then and then after you know you hold person, that's when you get your local barbarian to kind of be like <laughs> and he puts his he just I'm gonna just kinda just uh kinda put you in there and I'm not gonna oh I'm not gosh. gonna touch that. And as you watch them fry in front of you. <laughs> oh my god, this would make an amazing defensive mechanic. Yep. When you crawl up inside of your little uh your rope trick into the little dimension mm-hmm. and you cast the prismatic wall, like, come and get me, bitches. <laughs> Dispel magic. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> That's a hard thing to dispel magic. Yeah. But you can. It would be, what, you 10? Can. It'd be 19 DC, I think, wouldn't it? Uh, something like that. Yeah, it'd be pretty high. Anyway, um, this <laughs> Point is, is certainly is, a hard. powerful uh, uh, mechanic. Uh, this doesn't even include the fact that the target gets restrained as well. Yeah. Because uh, the indigo doesn't actually do damage. It just locks them in place. Yeah, also just... Uh, oh, and it's subjected this... to the petrification condition. Yeah, I was going to say, also, yeah, like... Yeah, I was going to say, um, it, you also have a chance to just be stoned and blinded or blinded. Like, it's... <laughs> things die. Yeah. <laughs> That's the idea. Right. I don't know if it's ever going to be as cool as our tactical nuke from a scrying and <laughs> meteor swarming somebody from orbit. <laughs> <laughs> this feels that kind of kind of level though where oh it's just gosh, like i'm just funny. gonna use this giant sphere i'm just gonna go and uh he's just yep. gonna eat damage <laughs> <laughs> suck it i love it Alrighty, so that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast don't, don't be, be a dick, dick. you can avoid dickitude uh by using prismatic obliteration that actually seems to be like a great way to be a dick <laughs> yeah <actually. laughs> well <laughs> The more we kind of think about it, the more it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know. All right. Maybe you're on to something. <laughs> uh, before, that'll do it for our show today. Before we close out, every episode we want to give away fat loots. Um, and we do that to all of our uh, people who follow our newsletter. So please consider heading over to CritAcademy.com. We are giving away our newest release, the player option, the Elemental Blade Rogue. Uh, while many rogues often rely on precision strikes and deadly blows to deal with their foe, the Elemental Blade prefers to release torrents of magical primordial energy through their weapons to get the job done. Around the world, there are many different ways to access magical power, divine power granted by the gods, understanding the arcane weave, innate power that comes from within, and so many more yet to be discovered. The Elemental Blade can tap into the primordial forces that govern nature. They draw the power into themselves and hold it for a short moment. They then release a horde of power through a conduit. In this case, their weapon. (laughs) Uh, Not only does this enhance their attacks, but the release of the primordial power often alters the very land around them. So... we got, our, some, we got some terrain fun for our yes, rogues who like to run around on stuff. Our winner today is Pokor. Uh, if you didn't win, have no fear. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and sign up for our newsletter. To not only be entered to win this, we are giving away a free copy of our best-selling Challenge Accepted. All you gotta do is sign up. It's now, that easy. I do want to say I had somebody challenge me on the the elemental rogue. The rogues do enough damage. Of all the primordial elements, only one, uh, one uh, form actually like does damage. extra damage. Whoa. <laughs> like the ice one turns the sneak attack damage into ice, and it freezes the area, making it slippery terrain around it. As an example, another one's like the stone skin spell or something like that. Like yeah, stone- see. Yeah. Man, see, I love, I love rogues. I, I give me more ways to be sneaky and 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 just schemey. I want to do things, <laughs> and the elemental rogue will let me do that. So yes. All right, that will do it for our show today. Right? Yeah. You guys enjoy yourselves. Yeah, I enjoyed the show. Look at that we kept it at about uh, one hour. I'm on it. We did good today. <laughs> All right, uh, that'll do it for our episode today here at Crit Academy. Please join us on our next episode. Guess what we're going to be talking about? Monsters? Monster Manual Expanded 3. This compendium, holy shit, you guys, it's got over 270 awesome monsters, and I'm super excited. It's kind of a lot to take in. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I'm really excited to talk about memorable Mo- or not memorable monsters. Well, that too. Uh, well, uh, yeah, Monster Manual expanded. Uh, we've covered the first one previously, and I'm super excited to talk about this because Val Cyrene or not Val. That is Manix Draconix has taken a uh, huge level up between the first one and the third one, and mm-hmm. it blows my mind. So, with that. If you enjoy our show today and you want to support us, feel free to visit us at CritAcademy.com. We do a lot of fun stuff over there, like our blog posts and things. Uh, But first, uh, follow us on social media. Uh, We have a YouTube that is growing significantly fast. Yes, it's so fast. I can't believe how fast it's growing. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. We're also on Facebook. It's very popular. We have memes there. Uh, <laughs> and also it tells us about uh, upcoming like events and whatnot. We've followers since our show started. Yeah, on YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Um, also, join us on TikTok. Uh, it's just a blast there. Uh, I haven't done anything there yet, but I, I will at some point. <laughs> but he's going to be on there, so I will be on there. Sexy hairdo. It's awesome. Hi. He's going to do the Justin Bieber shape for you. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Uh, and of course, uh, go to all of our uh, podcasting things like on iTunes. Give us a review. We can always talk about how cool we are, but it means even more when you talk about how cool he we are. It. It's true. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for our show today. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes. <laughs>